Hello, friends. Welcome to the Business and Beers podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Goo Goo. Better sleep means a healthier and happier you. Sleep is that important. I actually own a Goo Goo mattress, and I can say it's one of the most comfortable beds I've ever slept on. And Goo Goo is super affordable. Most great mattresses cost way over 100,000 yen, but Goo Goo prices start at only 70,000 yen. It comes in a box, it's delivered free, you open the box, cut the plastic wrap, and whammo, your Goo Goo mattress is ready to go. It's pretty simple. And now, Goo Goo is offering a special discount for you, the Business and Beers podcast listeners. Just go to gugu.jp, Goo Goo is spelled G-U-G-U, Check out their website, and when you order a mattress, enter BB Japan in the promo code box for your 20% discount. They offer free shipping, a 100-night trial, hassle-free returns, and a 10-year warranty. So, check them out at gugu.jp. Better sleep, better you. This episode, I sit down for beers and martinis with marketing guru, Mr. Per Rasmussen. For the past 30 years, Per has been either head of marketing or president of four major European consumer goods companies in Japan. And he definitely knows a lot about brand marketing. At Lego, Per created a new hit product through localization, along with a successful media message which led to 17 years of continuous sales. At Tfall, he launched a new product category that continues to be a Japan market leader. He also came up with the Tfall TV commercial jingle, which every Japanese knows. We talk about why Japanese companies are culturally not very good at marketing, the book 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, the best way to influence Japanese consumers, why being a foreign boss in Japan is akin to being a court jester, his favorite martini recipe, and a whole lot more. In fact, we probably overindulged a little at the end, but nonetheless, if you are interested in brand marketing, you will love this conversation with Per Rasmussen. Nobody remembers who came in second. Who was the second president of the United States? Everyone knows George Washington was the yeah. first. Nobody mm-hmm. remembers the second. Who was the first man to walk on the on the surface of the moon? That was Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Who was the second? I Nobody been. remembers. Yeah. So you got to be first. Yeah. Yeah. It's better to be first in the mind than to be first in the market. It's all about mind. Marketing is not a battle of products. It's a matter of perceptions. Yeah. Our first beer. Whoa, cheers. Cheers. There you go. This is Samuel Adams, an American craft beer from Boston. Which is good. I've had that stuff before. Yeah. Do you drink at home? I drink at home, but it's become less and less beer. More and more shochu, sake, wine. So we used to have the beer, the fridge half full with, with beer. Okay. And now if I have more than five bottles, that's... You that's mean in one night or in the refrigerator? No, in the refrigerator. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I just can't drink beer the way I used to. Nope. No, I get full, too full. There are other things I cannot do like I used to as well. I won't get close into that. So, Well, if you're talking about what I think you're talking about, here's a great quote. I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I once was. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I get that. Feel free to I use get, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll do so. I'll do so. I have been interviewing lots of people mm. for this podcast, Business and Beers Japan. Mm. 
And they've all been mainly sales-related people. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. And you are the first, like, marketing guy. The one who makes your job easy. Um, You could say that, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what we like to say. Yeah, you yeah. once said to me, you don't need salespeople. Do you remember saying something like yes, that? Yes, if we are good and have enough money. <laughs> yeah, if we have enough money, that's uh, that's very important. But it also depends a lot on what business you're in, because sometimes you can influence people by media. Mm-hmm. In other business, you cannot. In Japan, marketing in Japan, why is the marketing department often an overlooked department or a misunderstood department in Japanese companies? For example, there's yeah. no Japanese word for marketing. Uh, no, it's it's a typical katagana word. Right. Which what they do when they don't really have a real word for it. It's an engineering com- uh, country. Mm-hmm. And that's if you make it good enough, people will buy it. Uh, and then you have uh, salespeople who know the tr- products really, really well. Right. They're spec freaks. Um, that's true. Really. And the consumer is as well, or the customer is as well. So there's no real reason to trying to, say, make any perceptions about a right, a, a cool product or nice stuff or so it's all very very uh, specification oriented and then what happened was that somebody found out something about at least communication and that became the big advertising agencies and they're basically doing the marketing depending on how you define marketing yeah yeah that's a good point well at the end of the day marketing is about perception not products right yes yes I have worked 30 years in Japan and before I came here I was in headquarters product development planning okay sounds very boring but it was in a toy company so it was just the right job for me and lego right lego's headquarters yes yeah from my office i could look over the legoland park in denmark yes and we could go there for lunch so i had just the perfect job then i land in japan suddenly and i become the marketing guy in a small sales company that is very far away. For Lego. Yes, for okay. Lego. That's very far away from sitting in corporate headquarters yeah. and thinking about what to sell four years from now or what to make that other people sell for you four yeah. years from now. So I came here with a marketing background. We did a lot of research, consumer research, and so it's very, very professional. And then I meet Japanese advertising agencies, and they don't know anything about marketing. It's very much like the advertising company come and say, how much money do you have for next year? Yeah. And then they make a plan for you. But very little strategy about what really to do. But that's what you were mentioning, is that in, in Japanese companies, mm. the market, the marketing department is not, in the true sense of the word marketing, no. they rely on, on outsourced. They, on outsourcing, yes. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that if you go to the really big uh, advertising agencies, where you will go if you're big, because they are the ones who have the power to get you into where you want to be, they're also doing it for your, cost, for your competitor which would never happen in the US or in Europe. No. Never. But no. here, Dentsu Hakuhodo, they do the stuff for everybody. It's, it's very, very strange. Incestuous. Mm, yeah. You came to Japan in 1991, right? I came in 89. Okay. This year was 30 years. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, yes. The reason I said 91 is because I looked at your LinkedIn profile, mm. and it's for Lego it says 91, yeah. but, but maybe you came before that. I studied Japanese on a European EU program called ETP, Executive Training Program. Oh, cool. Okay. And the strategy is to educate young business people mm-hmm. in Japanese language and Japanese business culture. One and a half years. It, one year of full-time Japanese studies, language wow. studies. 
We were not even allowed to visit our company's offices in Japan. But you were still an employee of Lego? I was Lego. still an employee of, of Lego. Why did they choose you? I think I forced myself into, uh, <laughs> into <laughs> the position. The benefit of sitting in a location like this is we have a little bit of privacy. Yeah. The downside yeah. is mm. nobody waits on us. Nobody waits on us. <laughs> Hold on a second. You worked for 17 years for Group Seb, yeah. also known as T-Fall, yes. in Japan. And you had a, an incredible jingle that almost all Japanese people know. Yeah, we do. You still or do. we did. Or they do, yeah. Yeah, how yeah. did that come up? Uh, did you do that? I stole it. So when you say steal, we, that's a negative. Yeah. Somebody... Because if you stole it, there would yeah. be a copyright to it. Yes, You'd be in yes, trouble. yes, yes. But they had not copyrighted it. I did, we did change it a bit. Okay. But we did something on a on a product naming yeah. that was very uh, different from what you would usually do. Yep. You would usually make a, a very short, easy to remember, easy to write, mm -hmm. uh, easy to copy mm -hmm. or write down and recognize. But we went for something that was quite long, not because of that, but we wanted to describe the product. We wanted the consumer to know what this product is from the product name. Yeah. Like you say, Pampers. Uh, yeah, some people may know, but a lot of countries you will have no clue what what product is referring to. Attack? Would I know that that's a detergent? So we tried to look for something like that, and I observed a TV shopping company that we had selling this product. Okay. And they were selling much more than we expected. So I was observing what they were doing, and uh, when we were finished with selling to them, and we relaunched the product, we changed the brand. It was called Sep before which was your original friend's name. Yep. And we changed the brand name to Tefal, which was mainly for industrial reasons, had nothing to do with, with marketing or anything. Because we were the only company in the world selling frying pans under the SEP brand. Okay. Everywhere else was Tefal. Yeah. Old history. So it was mainly industrial reasons that we changed the brand. So we relaunched the product. In Japan? In Japan. Right. Okay. In Japan only. Yeah. Mm. And I had just started in that company, and this is quite fun actually, because it has a lot to do with listening to the consumer. So my sons were small. They were playing soccer in the local soccer club. And every Saturday I would go over with all the other parents and see our hopefuls playing soccer. And the people would, would ask me where I work. And nobody knew Group Sep. Nobody knew Tefal. We just launched the brand. Right. And then I explained what the product was. And they all said, Oh, Tote no Toreru Nabe. They Before already, the, at that time, please knew. explain what tote toreru nabe means, please. That means a, a pot or a frying pan with a removable handle. Yep. And all I did was that I replaced, the, say, the product name or the product description, frying pan or pot, with a brand name. So it says Tefal with a removable handle. Removable handle is not so anything new. You can have that on many things. But no, that's very generic. But in cookware, you guys... Mm put so many patents on it it's almost difficult now for any competitor to do the same thing because it's I know. difficult to make a good one it's difficult to make a good one i think so yeah. <laughs> but i wanted it i wanted to get away from it being generic yeah uh and and having the brand known and we were starting at that time the brand awareness for tfl was was zero what year was this it was in that has been in 99 early 99 we made it very very good on TV. Uh, the advertising agency, uh, the creative director did a fantastic job. But yeah. he also listened to what we wanted. Yeah. And we wanted a very simple product description. 
nothing with brand image because nobody knew the brand. Okay. The only thing we could sell was the product. How you cannot sell a brand that nobody knows about. But you sold the product on its USP, which was yes. which was the removable handle. Yes, yes. Okay. And the benefits related to that, such as storage, storage, easy cleaning. Yeah. Uh, but in Japan, storage is big, huge. Uh, easy cleaning is fun, but but you can clean around the handle because you can take the handle off. But I think, as you said before, when you talk marketing, it's all about getting a word into people's mind. Not too many words, because we can't remember too many words. Uh, one not, thing, not more than three. Not more than three. It's difficult. Yeah. Right. You introduced to me a book, and yeah. I brought it with me today. Yes. I think one of the first times you and I had dinner together, had some drinks together, yes. we were talking about marketing, and you said, if you want to learn more about mm. marketing, it's a bit of an old book. I think it was published in 94. Yeah. It's called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Yeah. The first time I met you was at a kind of a networking event, and you were giving a presentation. That is true, yes. It was eight years ago. Is it? Oh, wow, is it that far ago? But as I read through this, and I remember your mm. presentation, mm. in The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, what you did at TFAL is you did the number two law, which yeah. was, or which is, the law of the category, mm. which means if you can't be first, develop a new category so you can be first. Exactly. And that's what you did. That's what. That's probably what we did, yes. Yeah. I think it had to do with the kettle. It has to do a kettle very much, because yeah. what does a kettle do? It boils water, and there are many ways to boil water. Right. And interesting enough for Westerners, it's... When did we launch the kettle? It's 15 years ago. Uh, the electric kettle concept, which has been in Europe since the mid-60s, mm-hmm. did not exist in Japan because there was the Japanese equivalent, which was a big thermopod okay. that could boil water, but at very low wattage. And the main reason was actually to, to really keep the water long for long, warm for a long time. In almost all categories, uh, 95 to 98% of the market is dominated by Japanese companies. Right. Especially small electrical appliances. Especially in electrical appliances. Right. Uh, today you have a few you have a few exceptions. Dyson is definitely one of them. But 20 years ago, it was 99% Japanese, big companies, small companies. And that's amazing. That's yeah. an amazing yeah. achievement yeah. That, that you did. What we did was actually to... Well, it's all about understanding your consumer. I think the correct term is to respect your consumer. It's, it's difficult to believe that we could spend that much time on doing that much research into what people want from boiled water. I think we put the first kettle on the market in 2003, mm-hmm. maybe 2004. What was the capacity of, of their first kettle? The first one that we put on was about was one liter. That was the big point because in Europe they're 1.7 liter. Exactly. They're too big. But the interesting thing is in Japan that... These jar pots, as they call them, these big electric thermopods, they are very often two to three liters and even four liter because they were built for multiple generation households where the grandmother and grandfather is at home all day long. And they That's invite the one where me. you push the top. You yes, push yes, down you the pump top, on the top. Pump it, yeah, you yeah. Pump it, yeah. And people don't live in big households anymore. They have fewer kids. Mm-hmm. And who needs four liters of boiling water if you are alone most of the day? and maybe have two small kids or so. Sure. Nobody needs that. 
But what people wanted, we found out, was they wanted to boil a little, a little amount of water very quickly. Well, that's not so difficult. You can do that on a gas because the Japanese gas is more powerful than gas in other countries. What, what do you mean the gas is more powerful in Japan? There's, it's more calorific. It's stronger. The, the, the heat you get on a gas stove in Japan is higher than in Europe. Wow. It's a different gas. Electric kettles in Europe, it was before because it was quicker than on the stove. But in Japan, we could never claim that the electric kettle was quicker than a kettle on the stove. Mm-hmm. It took exactly the same time. Then we are back into perception. Make it feel quicker or less troublesome. How do you do that? That's where we, we did a lot of research on people's attitudes. Uh, how they work in the kitchen. What are they content with? What are they concerned about, afraid about? And young mothers do not like open fire because they have kids. Mm-hmm. Or they may have a dog or cat today. There are more dogs and cats around than kids around. Elderly, old women also start to get afraid of gas because they would burn their sleeves now and then. They often have long, uh, very wide sleeves. IH induction heating was coming up, but it was right. 98% gas stoves. So people were actually afraid of using the gas. So if they were using the gas, they would have to stand in front of the stove all the time, which you don't want to do when you boil four liters of water in an aluminum kettle. No, you do not. So we could take that risk element away. But it took us two years with all types of consumer interviews and studies and insights to find out. And what we eventually ended up saying was quick. Speed. Speed, yeah. Convenience. Yeah. We couldn't say quicker. Right. (laughs) But we could say quick and that was good enough. Well, I think that in Japan too, but consumers around the world are more interested in what's new, not what's better. New is important. New is very important here. But what we also found out was that people uh, actually started to find out that if they were boiling two liters of water, three liters of water every morning, then the following morning they would throw half of it out because they would not consume it. And they started to feel that was wasteful. Not because they used bottled water, but water has become a scarce resource. Mm -hmm. And that started to pop up, that that was wasteful. And that was not a money sink because it doesn't cost a lot out of the tap. Well, that wasteful thing is, and I'm going to get to this later about mm. unique Japanese words, but that's motainai. Mm. And yeah. motainai yes, is a waste, yeah, yeah. but that a, has a, such a feeling to yeah. it in Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. Rice is the same way. There's even a phrase in Jap- Japan, if you leave, leave rice on your plate or you throw away rice, that somebody somewhere is going to go blind. Yeah, or something Have like, you heard that? Yeah, yeah, I think heard I've heard one? something like that. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I think we had something like around potatoes like that in Denmark when I was when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> now we're drinking craft beer. Coors. Yeah. Or the bee beer, which is not a beer, you know. <laughs> well, they have happy hour right oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I asked them what's available for yes, happy yes, hour. Yeah. They said we have Miller yeah. and Budweiser. What's happy, happy What's happy about that? You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> That's not the happy hour. That's the cry in my beer hour. I would like to expand on why I think that my biggest important job is to make salespeople redundant. Yes, please. Well, that's because I have worked all my career in, say, upper upper end of mass marketing mm-hmm. in consumer goods companies, relatively big companies, yeah, where you that. have advertising funds so that you can influence the consumer. Meaning that, yes, you need, of course, salespeople, but it's if the consumer doesn't buy, it's the buyer may buy, and your salespeople need to buy, sell to the buyer, but in the end, if the consumer doesn't buy, 
your salespeople doesn't have a chance. Exactly. Exactly. There's stuff lying around that they can't get rid of. I th- so that's 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 why in say consumer goods, you really really need to make sure the consumer is buying. You cannot push things through. And I think that Japan, mm. the media in mm. Japan, is even more influential it's and more powerful mm. than in the U.S. or even Europe, for sure. It's extremely powerful. It seems like like people's critical sense is turned down on low volume if it's advertising, because those who advertise are big companies. Right. They're reputable companies. Well, let's talk. Let's put the corporate governance and so aside. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're very reputable companies. So there's no reason not to trust them, right? And that's that's how it's been. I also think that Japanese trust the media in a way mm. that Western countries don't trust the that's media. That's true. Yeah. So if it's on TV, well, yeah. I saw it on TV. Yeah. So it must be true. It must be true. Otherwise, it would not be on TV. Um, as a foreigner working in Japan for 30 years, yes. What are the the things that you love about working here, and what are some of the things that you find challenging about working here? It's a very interesting question. When I say that, that's when people say that. That's usually because it's difficult to answer. I would love if I every year, whatever date, had written down the answers to that over the last 30 years, yeah. and then track what I was writing because I'm sure it has changed. What do I like as a foreigner in Japan? You can be more effective than the people, the Japanese people you are working with. It doesn't mean that you are more effective than people are in your home country, but comparatively, you are quite effective because you are here. Why can you be more effective? Very often because conformity is very important in Japan. This is true. But that does not necessarily bring you forward, at least not in front of the others. Yeah. And they all know what they have to do. But it's just not right to say it, mm-hmm. and that's that's where the foreigner comes in. I hear you. Yeah, it's like in the old days, you know, the king and the, the emperor—they always had this, what's he called, the uh, jester. Yeah, the jester, who was not a stupid person. Right. He was a very intelligent. He was an entertainer. <laughs> yeah, and but very intelligent and very trained and qualified, and he was the one. Who was allowed to say these things, and everybody would go, "Oh, yeah, we should do that." Yeah, because the king would say, "Yeah, let's do that," wow. and that's what you can do as a foreigner, I think, very, very much, and and that's that's a big difference we can make, and it's appreciated because it's not that they're against it; it's just that the cultural context does not allow them to do it. Ah, uh, wow, if somebody's winning, then somebody else is losing. Exactly. And exactly. the people that lose, they don't like to do business with people like that in the future. So I believe in the win-win And situation. And that brings us very much back to what is nice about doing business in Japan. Is that you have business partnerships that's all built on continuity. Nice segue. You don't take advantage of somebody just because he's in a weak situation this month or whatever. Well, you can do that, but it's not going to pay off in the long term. And that's one of the nice things about being here. Trust. If people have promised you something, you don't need to write 40 pages of contract (laughs) to make sure that he will deliver. On the other hand, if we don't write those detailed contracts, there's a lot of flexibility in how to benefit each other Yeah. Do this for you, or you do this for me. Uh, so that's one of the really, really nice things being here. 
we had a compliance audit about four years ago. Yeah. And they were shocked at how lenient our contracts were yeah. with our suppliers. Let's say I'm, I'm glad I'm not a young, newly educated master of business education because I wouldn't be able to compete with the new smart guys coming out. They're very really? well educated. I think so. But they're book smart. Big difference. Intelligent and book smart. But they have been spent all their time on studying or being on screen, looking at screens and so. But it's not so easy to sit down with a guy on the other side of the table and finding yeah. out, can I trust him? Or how can he trust me? They're not so good at that. And they are very, very regulated by everything has to be written down in a manual or in a contract or legal terms and so. And that makes it difficult in Japan now and then when you have, as you said, your compliance audit. Yeah. It's very difficult to get headquarter controlling and audit to understand how things work here. We talked about doing business in Japan. You talked mm. about uh, the benefits and what's nice yeah. about it. What were the challenges over 30 years? It's tough. What do you mean? It's really tough to get people to understand what it is you want to do. Even if when you get them to understand what it is you want to do, then to get them to actually commit to trying to do it is tough. Culturally, it's very different. Business culture is very different. And then there's this language issue. <laughs> yeah, there's the language issue, isn't there? And that is really, really tough, I think, on most foreigners. Because I always feel that I work at maybe maybe only 70% of my ability because of the language issue. That's a good number. I speak Japanese. I speak Japanese in the office. I yes. speak Japanese with my customers, all yeah. our negotiations. But you're right. I would say me too. Probably, I would have probably mm. said 80%, but I'm not trying to one-up you. No, no, no. I know just, you speak Japanese very, very well. But so you don't get to where you want it to be. Because Japanese also is a very vague language. Yeah. And when you want to be director, when yeah. you really want to make a point and yeah. you're in Japanese, yeah. if you try to make that direct point in Japanese, either it doesn't have the power behind it mm. or it sounds rude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's really, really difficult. So I think that's probably for most people the biggest difficulty because that also means that we are typically as managers for a department or for the whole company. But it's very difficult to get be the leader for everybody because you can't communicate with them. And you cannot be the leader for people you can't communicate with. So very often people end up in being in, a say, the foreigner group or mm -hmm. the Japanese group. Ah. And it's very difficult to break that one down. So those that you are able to communicate with because of the language, right. it, it's, it looks like the president prefers these people. And you know how they are with, are with fractions yeah. in Japan, not only in the political parties, but... Uh, <laughs> also in companies, this group mentality. And once you are out of the group, you're out. And and they hate favoritism. Yes, yeah, that's true. Unless they are the ones being favored. Everybody does that, but the Japanese absolutely despises favoritism. I have a couple staff who prefer to speak English yeah, yeah. with me. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. They want to improve their English. I have it's no good. problem it's with that. It's, it's but probably there are some employees that resent that. Yeah, yes. Most Most likely. <laughs> and we try however much we speak Japanese and do the best we can. Yeah. We are still, in the end, the gaijin. <laughs> yeah. But that goes back to the benefits of being a foreigner here. Yes, yes, is yes. Is that yes. we don't really have to play by these invisible nope. business rules. Exactly. We're not expected to. But it also means that if you get frustrated by not being fully included, then it's frustrating. But that's also why I said that if I had written down every year 
over the last 30 years, my ideas, my thinking about this and about that. Yeah. It would be really interesting to see how my opinion and my experiences have changed over the years. Because today, I honestly don't really remember 25 years ago. Yeah, we're getting to that age where anything new that goes into our brain mm. pushes something old out of our brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be your first coming to Japan self. Yes, Any yes. advice, keep a diary. I don't know how it will help you, but it's quite interesting when you get older. Cheers, Pear. Completely different story, but now you ordered one of these. I said, wow, he's a sophisticated man. <laughs> I just had my birthday. I won't say how old I got. Congratulations. Uh, but I have been in Japan 30 years, and it was that means it's been now exactly half of my life I've been in Japan. Oh, geez, you're throwing out some really difficult math here so, for me. Yes, so I had one of these birthday parties where in Japan you would have put on a red vest and a red cap. Everybody was supposed to, was supposed to they were told to, bring a bottle of gin, the one they liked the most. Gin? Yeah, it was a martini party. We had only martinis. This yes. is not gin, though. This is a vodka, yes, but you can have... Yeah. We, I'm mainly a gin guy, but... Okay. But you can have vodka martinis as well. And we also had some vodkas. So we started at 3 o'clock right. uh, till about 5.30. Okay. And just sitting there and nipping small different types of Sweet. of martinis. That was, a good e- that was a good afternoon. My wife was allowed to participate as well. The only woman. But mm-hmm. she was also washing the glasses. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Hashtag me too. <laughs> but I didn't ask her to do it. She did it. <laughs> But the interesting thing is that I commute every day to Tokyo. And if people call me Saturday morning at 10 o'clock and say, do you come up for a drink tonight? I can be in Tokyo in 40 minutes. Sure. If people have to come from Tokyo to Yokohama, they need three weeks of advance notice. <laughs> and, and, and they don't know the difference between Yokohama and Nagoya, I think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, so to sort of improve their image of Yokohama, I've arranged these martini parties now and okay. then at home. Nice. But the interesting thing is, I have a guy that we were both young. When I started my job at Lego, we were just about 30 years old. He was a couple of years younger than me. So we've sort of grown up together, learning okay. a lot of things together. He didn't know anything about marketing because he was from a big Japanese agency. So how would he know about marketing? Right. So I started to teach him the things in this book. Mm-hmm. The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Before I had ever read the book. Because oh, okay. So you, you weren't like showing him the book. You already knew these things. I had been taught that from where I worked before. The okay. legal headquarters was very, very strong on marketing. So many of these things, when I read the book, mm-hmm. I recognized from my first job. It's not something I figured out. It was what they taught me. Right. Have you ever thought about writing a book about marketing in Japan? I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I have not, but this guy I mentioned from the advertising agency, right. who actually works for me today as a marketing manager, has several times approached me and wanted to, to write this book in Japanese for Japanese. And I've said I'll be happy to do so, but right. you have to write it. Okay. Because it's you. He has all the notes sure. from all these fantastic things he thinks I have done and said. and uh, So he has all the notes, so I've said, let's get started. And then we discuss it and we see, did I really say that? Or is this what I meant about it? And, and we can edit it together and then we publish it in, in our names, not in my name, in, right. in our names. Because you were the one who evaluated if it was good or smart. or How's it going? Uh, it's going nowhere. <laughs> why not? I don't know why he can't get his hand around to it. But uh, we have been talking about it a lot. 
uh, and I think it's, it's, it's going to come one day. And it may come the day I retire, mm-hmm. when I have, I have this idea that when you retire, then suddenly you can remember a lot of things you can't remember today, because you're so busy today, there's no room to remember them. I, I live in hope. On my last day in Copenhagen, I decided I wanted to go to a bakery for breakfast. I didn't want to eat at the hotel. So I went on Google and I just Googled best bakery Copenhagen. And sure enough, there was a bunch near my hotel. And there was one, you're going to laugh, called Anderson. Yeah, the Japanese one. Yeah, the Japanese one. I I knew that there was an Anderson bakery in Japan, but I didn't know that the one in... Denmark yes. was the same. Or yes. It was actually a Japanese yes. bakery. It's so I rode my my rental bicycle, and at the entrance way they have a sign, and there's a story of of this Japanese guy, yes, 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 yes. who went to Copenhagen, yeah, and he loved the bakery and the pastries yes, yes, and yes, the yes, Danishes yes. there, of yes. course, and he took it back to Japan, and it was a huge hit. And I guess it was the first, I want to say, first bakery in Japan, the or? first real Western bakery, yeah, as far as I, I understand I so. as well. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. then he exported his Japanese version of the Danish bakery back to Copenhagen. Yes, it's yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah. And as far as I understand, it has actually had a good impact on quality of Danish bakeries because they were becoming at one point in time very mass production. Okay. The craftsman bakery disappeared, like in any other country, the craftsman disappeared. So how do you like my choice of martini here? I think it's good, but you I know? do think uh, a Powerful gin is uh, is better. What kind of gin do you like? Here I would probably go for a Botanica. Botanica? Or a Tanqueray 10. Tanqueray 10? Yeah. Botanica, is that the name of the gin? Yeah. Oh. It's a brand. It's it's. it's I'm really not a huge gin fan. I um, wasn't either. Really? Um, I was not a huge shochu fan either. Then we befriended some Japanese people about 15, 16 years ago. We met them at uh, a, short, uh, a Nihongshu party at, a, at, a, at Isakaya. And we met these Japanese people there. We, it was sold out. We sat at a small table like this. We never met these people before. We just hit it on like, just like that. Yeah. And after that, we went out for dinner every month. And we, we took ch- turns arranging where to go. Mm-hmm. And this guy, he always, we're still good friends. We still meet. He always wanted us to drink shochu. And my wife refused because she had a negative image. Sure. And I refused because I had negative experience. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is a little more practical. <laughs> yeah, very practical. <laughs> then one day, yeah. he took us to a place where they had only shochu. Yeah. And then my wife said, okay, okay, if he insists that much. And I said, okay. And that's all. Actually, we go back to marketing. Yeah. If you look at the shochu marketing 30 years ago, and also the product development, what they're doing today is pretty refined. True. Before that, honestly, it really was some cheap, terrible stuff in a three-liter plastic bottle for $7 or... And today you get some really refined, super good stuff. Anyway, when we go into a restaurant and my wife orders shochu and they ask, what type would you want? And she says something, look at my husband, something stubborn, something strong, slightly smelly. Strong, stubborn, and smelly. Any more S adjectives <laughs> so, you can some, apply to yourself other that, than sexy? That's, that's sexy, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how she orders her shochu, you know. You've never worked for a Japanese company? No. Why? Why I've, you? I know you started with Lego. I'm sure I, you, there was many job I, opportunities I have, along the way. Why did you never work for a Japanese company? Uh, I'm picky. My career has been very 
funny in the sense that when when I joined Lego, I thought that I will work in this company 50 years till I retire. Lego is still, and it was in those days, one of the you know the top three. Uh, if you were interested in marketing in those days, you wanted to work for Lego or Carlsberg, the beer company, or Bang and Olufsen, the audio company. Nice. Those were the three ones. Lego was categorized as Kyoi Kugang, educational toy. Educational toys, yeah. But if you say education in Japan, it has to be knowledge, information. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you had to learn from it. Creativity is not educational. That's a very interesting so point. So Le- Lego was not toy, and it was yeah. not education. So it was in a new category, yeah. like what it says in chapter two here, mm-hmm. invent a, a, new, a category where you could be first, sure. but we never understood that that's where mm-hmm. we were, that we were, we were not in any category. But the three and a half years I spent there, we doubled the turnover. Wow. Do you, uh, do you have any friends still working in Lego here in Japan now? Uh, I know the president. Okay. And uh, was, <laughs> I met him months ago, and he said well, in the mansion where he lives, in front of his Toyota, whatever he drives, there's a Bugatti. A guy is driving a Bugatti, one of the most, the, the most expensive sports car in the world. And one morning he comes down, the Bugatti owner comes down in the parking lot, and he goes over this guy's very interesting cars. Uh, this the president for Lego. He's a Danish guy. He's interested in cars. So he goes over to this Bugatti guy and say, "I'm looking at your car every morning. I'm just wow. Yeah. I work for Lego, and we have this Lego Bugatti set. Now, if you would let me sit in your car just for ten seconds, I will give you the Lego Bugatti set." And the guy said, "I already have that." <laughs> But you can sit in my car anyway. <laughs> oh, that's nice of him. That's nice. Wow, that's cool. So, what is your greatest accomplishment in Japan? Honestly, I think it was the first thing in my very early years when I worked for Lego, and it was they, we were really struggling. Sales were just going down. I knew nothing about sales. I knew nothing about contract management. I came from a position is in headquarters, strategic, product development, blah, blah, blah. I loved my job when I worked in headquarters. We, we had to do something in Japan. Because sales were going down. Things were going down. My boss was, I would say, something like you. He was just total sales. He had always been sales, sales, sales. And he was the manager in Japan. And he knew about selling stuff but he didn't know about brand marketing and he was probably misplaced in Japan because it's a brand com- it's a brand country the question is what's your greatest accomplishment in Japan is that when we found that out that we need to do something in Japan we need to make a hit product we need to make something within legal something that local localization yeah so we made a product that was politically unacceptable Uh, at headquarter and we made a product that is my biggest regret is that I don't have a sample at home I forgot to buy the bloody thing but it was called Sosano Buckets the elephant bucket Buckets of of bricks bricks. in Japan you couldn't just sell a bucket with bricks It, it had to have something it had to have some theme theme yeah in those days we had very 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 strict we had blocks and we had something else that was more animated with cute figures and so that was a different product line and we wouldn't mo- mix those 
People wouldn't buy blocks only. It's too boring, isn't it? It's just not interesting. So what we managed to do was to to make a bucket with blocks, and then we put in a figure of an elephant, which I actually designed, or not designed, but I was the creator of that when I worked in headquarter. The elephant was a Lego elephant? Yes, it was a, it was a Lego size elephant that okay. was very cute. And we couldn't sell that in countries where Lego was known uh, poli- politically. Okay, sure. Uh, but then we managed to find, to convince headquarters that in Japan you need animation. So we got this elephant into the pocket. Sweet. And it was called the elephant pocket. And I'm sure if you go on the internet today and check Sosano Pockets, <laughs> it will probably come out. And we doubled the turnover in a year and a half in Lego Japan. And that's, I, I, I will still, whatever I've done ever since, I think, and, and, and we, made a, we made a special commercial for it in you Japan. TV commercial? TV commercial. In Japan? Directed in Japan, yes. For Lego? Yeah. In Japan, for that pocket, which I, at my first year as the marketing responsible, I'd never made a TV commercial before. I had no clue what I was doing. Honestly, I had no clue what How I was doing. How many TV commercials have you overseen in Japan? So I've maybe done... My whole career maybe done, I don't know, maybe 15? 15 is a lot. Yeah, but if you do them right, you don't need to do that many. True. The best I've done, the most fantastic I've done. No, 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 that's, that's, no, pull that back. The thing I'm most Mm. proud of in my career. Okay, that's important. Thank you. Let's, Let's focus on this. Yeah. What I'm most proud of is an accomplishment in my career was the elephant bucket from Lego. And if you talk in the industry, yes. people will still mention the elephant bucket, Sosano buckets. And three years ago, the manager, of, they, they, they don't sell it anymore, but they sold it for 17 years consecutively. Now, yeah. what made it sweet to me was that when I was working in headquarters in Denmark, so I was in charge of, of, a, of a project where we developed a series of animals, the Lego Zoo. But with all the success that you did at Lego, why did you only last a few years at Lego in Japan? Because I was too young and I didn't understand corporate policy, politics. Politics. Yeah. Wow, that yeah. sucks, right? It fucking sucks. And I think they would have been better off with keeping me, and I would have been better off staying. Yeah. But that's speculation. It's speculation. Hold that thought, my friend. Yeah. It's your turn now to order yeah. something. Now, it's ano, your Martini is going to be in this case. It's good to vodka based. It's good to be in this case. Just a gin based. Gin is not good. Botanical is good. Yeah, botanical is good. Gin is good. Vodka was Ambunoichi. The lemon peel there. The Vamus to Kawaiidanak, the Ankustora Arimasione. I onegaisimas. That's it. You called me out on my order? <laughs> and now you follow up with that? Yeah. Holy yeah. shit, dude. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I like it though. I've, ne- I've never had a gin vodka mix ever. It was the first time. That's the Rasmussen version of a Vespa Martini. It's, uh, it's what? A Vespa Martini is from a James, the James first, ro- the Casino Royale, yeah. James Bond. Yeah. The first Vespa Martini is apparently written down on page 39 in the first James Bond book. 
and he only drinks it in that movie. Shaken, not stirred. Yes. And you, you, but you didn't say that. I didn't say that. Yeah. I guess they will know that. You are old school. Well, if there's something you like to do, yeah. do it right. Exactly. I didn't know until today really what a podcast was. Well, I, of course I knew, but I haven't yeah. listened to any. Sure. But this is, and but I have never seen. You know, I, I think what you do this. I think it's it's absolutely super fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think, and and because as you said, you know, so many people, and we all have been so many years, and we don't, we all have sort of a message that we, it's not really a message, but it may be good for people to. I would like that young people could learn or other people could learn sure. from what I have experienced. Together, we've got 60 years experience yeah. in Japan. Yeah. You can't read that in a book. There's no way. If my experience, knowledge or whatever you call it, mm -hmm. can help younger people, well, then I'm quite happy. Yeah, that's another thing. We like to talk. Storytelling. Yeah, we like to talk. We like I to, do. We I like to it. share that. Oh, yeah. I learned this. I tried this. Yeah. This is fun. Oh, fuck that. Absolutely, I like business relationships in the sense that it's just cold business relationships. But somebody like you, I would meet any day of the week for breakfast or for lunch or for dinner because it's fun. Thank you. It is. It's yeah. all, Every time we meet, it's fun. I But learn something every time. I think... You listen to what I say. I, I feel you take in what I say. Absolutely. And, and you give me something uh, from your sales point of view that I say, oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> Pear Rasmussen. Yeah. yeah. I want to thank you so much for joining the Business and Beers Japan podcast. Uh, it's been a real joy. It's been a, an incredible experience chatting with you. Thank you very much. I'm so impressed that you invited me. I know you have such a network. And within that, you chose to invite me over for this conversation. I will tell it to my kids. No, dude. <laughs> don't go overboard, man. Just, just say thank you and good night. Thank you and good night. And that, my friends, was my conversation with marketing genius Per Rasmussen. It got a little sloppy there at the end, but hey, that's what a couple of strong martinis will do to you. For more information about Pear and some marketing links, check out the business and beer show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time for another episode of Business and Beers Japan. Have a great day, an awesome afternoon, or an excellent evening. Thanks, everybody.